The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blastoff. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 81 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour comedy episodes of Fibber, McGee, and Molly, starring Jim and Marion Jordan from 1948. We'll begin after this short break. In the early 30s, real-life married couple Jim and Marion Jordan tried their hands at the fledgling medium of radio and created the endearing comedy series Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber and Molly lived at 79 Wistful Vista, a branch of suburbia with friendly neighbors who stopped by to visit them and offer sage wisdom to Fibber's craftsmanship, whether it be fixing the mailbox or hanging Christmas lights. A slice of American life with a movie house in town, a department store, a friendly mailman who never hesitated to take a moment and chat with the McGee's, and a gossip society consisting of a little old lady's sewing circle. Fibber McGee and Molly today remains evident why the program represented the best of Main Street, USA. For a short time, their next door neighbor was Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, who displayed a smug personality complex and became the perfect foil for Windbag McGee. Their long-standing feuds once culminated with a duel involving water hoses. Harold Perry played the next-door neighbor character with such bravado that NBC ultimately gave way to a spin-off, The Great Gildersleeve, which became a long-standing radio program of its own success. The McGees had a made-for-a-spell, Beulah, who also branched off with a short-lived spin-off. A mainstay on radio, Fibber McGee and Molly lasted until 1956. Time now for the first of two comedy episodes of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. In this first one, the McGees visit the book nook to buy Horatio Alger novels they plan to resell to a book collector. Here's Fibber, McGee, and Molly from February 17, 1948. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. Your kitchen linoleum probably gets more steady wear than any other floor in the house, and yet it's so easy to keep it looking beautiful. Just use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Your linoleum will be brighter and cleaner, and your kitchen will be a more cheerful place to work. The new glow coat shines nearly twice as bright as ever before. And as you know, the brighter the shine, the cleaner the kitchen. Glow coat makes floor cleaning problems simple, too. 
Dust, dirt, and spilled things can be whisked off a glow-coated surface with just a wipe of a damp cloth. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat protects your linoleum from wear and scuffing. That shining coat of hard, gleaming wax actually keeps your feet off the floor. You walk on glow coat, not on the linoleum. No wonder it makes the linoleum last longer. Make your kitchen brighter, more cheerful. Use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat to bring out the beauty of your home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. Did you ever get a circular in the mail that said, and I probably misquote, we pay big money for old books. Well, it's that sort of thing that has sent our Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista pursuing many a wild goose. Listen to him now as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. Hey, Molly, did you see this circular that just come in the mail? It says there's a fortune in books. I don't believe it. Uncle Dennis ran one for several months and he spent all his profits bailing himself out of jail. Oh, no. Oh, I don't mean handbooks. <laughs> this guy ain't a bookie, he's a collector. So was Uncle Dennis. He'd collect $100 and hand it right over to a bailiff. I told him a hundred times no, he shouldn't no, be... No. <laughs> you don't understand, kiddo, neither do I. Look, this circular says thousands of people who read this circular have books in their attics and basements which are eagerly sought by collectors. Oh, books. Yeah, books. I wonder if we got any book in the attic which would be eagerly sought by a collector. It'd have to be kind of rare, I suppose. Well, we've got some up there by Mary Roberts Rhinestone, and, uh... <laughs> yes, and there's some by Earl Stanley Gander up there. Uh, gardener, Snooky. A gander is a buck duck. <laughs> Besides, by rare books, I mean books that are scarce, old books that you can't buy anymore. Them are the ones that are eagerly sought by collectors. For instance, this circular says there's a great demand right now for Horatio Alger books. Oh, and... Horatio Alger. Yeah. <laughs> Heavenly days. <laughs> Who'd want to read that stuff now? Yeah. Phil the Fiddler, Paul the Peddler, Bill the Butcher. Which reminds me, did you pay the butcher bill? <laughs> yeah, but listen, I got an idea. I found $5 in an old sugar bowl today. Well, good for you. Now, my idea is that you if I... You can have it if you'll forget this idea you have. Well, you don't even know what it is. No, but you never had one yet that cost us less than $15, so we'll save 10 <laughs> But this will make a lot of dough, kiddo. Listen, the circular says that Horatio Alger books are eagerly sought by collectors. You see where it says that right here? Eagerly sought by collectors. Yes, but... I they... know where I can lay my chubby little mitts on 50 of them today, in half an hour. What good is a project to us that lasts more than a half an hour? <laughs> I get this, baby. I happened to drop into the book nook next to the Bonton this morning, and on the shelf that says, any book here for 25 cents, there were dozens of Alger books. Did he write that many? My gosh, he must, must have wrote a hundred of them. All with the same plot, too, practically. Really? There's always this poor but honest lad, disgustingly wholesome, who saves a banker's daughter from a runaway horse. He refuses to accept a gold watch as a reward, so the banker gives him a job as messenger boy at 50 cents a week, out of which Thrifty Joe saves 37 cents. <laughs> In 110 pages, he saves up enough money to marry the banker's daughter and gets the gold watch for a wedding present. The snide little twerp plays it smart all the way. <laughs> uh, sounds a little dull, doesn't yeah. it? 
Didn't he ever write one where the boy saves a horse's daughter from a runaway banker? Huh? <laughs> or a banker's horse from a runaway daughter? No. No, but in Tom the Bootblack... Uh-oh, now, now, not a word about this to anybody, Snooky. This is my private gold mine, and I don't want any claim jumpers. I'll be mum chum. Come in. Oh, hello there, Mr. Oldtimer. Oh, hi, Oldtimer. I'd ask you to sit down, but we're on our way downtown to the book nook. Gotta buy some books. Good for you, Johnny. Nothing like reading good books. I'll never forget what one of my old teachers said about reading. Uh, what did she say, Mr. Oldtimer? Well, sir, daughter, she just stood there with the sun streaming in the schoolhouse window, casting a kind of a soft glow over her head and says, You little whippersnapper, you will finish reading A Tale of Two Cities or you'll be in the sixth grade for the next ten years. <laughs> did you or were you? I was. <laughs> oh, but since then, I'd done a lot of reading, kids. Just last night, I was sitting in my room, reading to myself in the dark, and all at once... Wait, ho, ho, wait a minute now. How can you read in the dark? Why, that's simple, daughter. Just turn on the light. <laughs> but if you turned on the light, you weren't in the dark. Oh, yes, I was. The bulb was burned out, Johnny. <laughs> Well, if you turned on the light and it was burned out, how could you still read? Had a flashlight. Oh. Well, that's different. Nope. The batteries was dead. Oh. <laughs> now, this is nonsensical, Mr. Oldtimer, sitting there reading in a dark room. What were you reading? A neon hosiery sign across the street, daughter. <laughs> I love neon. Ever stop to think what neon spells backwards? It spells no one. And no one loves neon like I do. Oh. <laughs> Why, some of them colors... Now, if you'll excuse us, old-timer, we gotta get on and buy some books. Aye, certainly, Johnny, and I'm proud of you for doing it. I don't care much for books myself. Started one last week and just had to quit it. Why? Too much printing in it. The pages was all full of words. <laughs> well, some books are like that, old-timer. You ought to try a book of cigarette papers. <laughs> well, this was the most mixed-up yarn I ever read, kids. Yeah? Started out with a character named Aardvark and a feller named Ab and just went no place from there. Well, who wrote the book? Oh, some fella named Webster. He'll never get any place, though. <laughs> He'll never get any place. His plots don't hold up. <laughs> That was Noah Webster, old-timer. He quit writing books after that and started a dance band. He did? Haven't you heard of Noah's Ork? Oh, dear. <laughs> Noah's Ork? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard yeah, it. I didn't think it would be. Hmm. Nope, the way I heard it, one feller says to tell the feller, say, he says, what do they mean when they say a man is presidential timber? Well, says tell the feller, they mean he can look green and act grown. He ain't too sappy or shady. He don't mind getting the bird. He knows when to bow and leave. And he can bark when necessary. Spends a lot of time on the stump. Keeps his trunk packed and falls the right way when they give him the axe. Well, so long, kid. <laughs> Billy Mills in the orchestra, and now is the hour.
Now look, Snook. When we get in this book, Nook, we gotta play it kind of cagey, see? We ain't the least bit interested in buying any old Horatio K. Alger books. See? Why, we are, too. That's huh? why we came down here, to buy up all the old Alger books he had. Yeah, 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 sure. That is what we come down here for, but we don't want the guy to know it, see? He'll hike the price on us. We gotta act like we're not interested. Well, all right, but it seems a little dishonest. Huh? I'll probably blush every time he looks at me. <laughs> you do that. You look pretty when you blush. That'll, that'll distract his attention off of me. Come on, let's go in. Heavenly days. Look at all the books. Mm-hmm. Who writes all those things? Mm-hmm. We certainly haven't had that many secretaries of state. <laughs> now, let's just pretend we're browsing, kiddo. Why pretend anything? The proprietor isn't paying any attention to us. Oh, no. You slip a ten-buck book under your coat and start to walk out. He don't know we're here like MacArthur don't know he's being mentioned as a candidate. <laughs> you try to take a book... Oh, that McGee, can... look who just came in. Mr. Williams, the weatherman. Hello, Mr. Williams. Oh, hi, Foggy, old man. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. If you'll pardon my saying so, it's lovely weather we're having, isn't it? Yes, it is, Mr. Williams. <laughs> you a book lover like us, Foggy? Yes, in a way, McGee. I'm also an author of sorts. Heavenly days, an author. Wow. You mean you wrote a book, Mr. Williams? Yes, yes, I did. Hmm. It was about an expedition I made four years ago to the interior of Africa, studying equatorial weather. Very adventuresome trip, too. Hmm. Any trouble with natives, Fogg? One of our members was boiled and eaten by cannibals. Oh. Ooh, yeah. Yes, we buried his sun helmet and put a simple little marker over it. Stuart Jones, that was. How terrible. What did you write on the marker? And just one word. Stew. How about wild game, Foggy? Oh, we had some splendid ones, McGee One night I was holding a full house, aces over king No, 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 no Oh, oh You mean (laughs) animals Well, one day in the dense jungle I was taking humidity recordings When I was charged by an enraged bull elephant Boy I fled for my life, but tripped over a pygmy Fell and fractured my hygrometer. Oh. Yes. Yes, I did. As I lay there helpless, I saw this huge bull loom over me, ready to stamp out my life. Well, I'd have grabbed his tusks and tried to throw the bull. <laughs> I'm sure you would. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what happened, Mr. Williams? What'd you do? Well, suddenly a strange look came into the elephant's eyes. Huh? Gently, he wrapped his trunk about me and carried me tenderly back to camp. He put me lightly down on the grass, and before he left, he stood over me a moment with tears in his eyes. With the soft tip of his trunk, caressed a dewy button I happened to be wearing. Darn good thing for you, Foggy, they didn't have wild donkeys in Africa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I must be getting along. Good day, probably. So long, Foggy. I could have told that yarn a lot better. I'd have made it a laughing hyena instead of an elephant. Oh, oh, oh here comes the proprietor, Molly. Now play it, Katie. All right. All right. Uh, hi, bud. Mind if we just browse around a little? Oh, it's quite all right, mister. Look around all you like. You uh, interested in fiction or nonfiction? Whichever Horatio Alger is, we're not interested in that. Oh. 
Am I being cagey enough, McGee? <laughs> she likes detective stories, bud, but she always shuts her eyes when she comes to the murder part, so she never does seem to find out... Oh, uh, excuse me, folks, there's my telephone. Now go ahead, Buster, we'll just browse around. Book nook. <laughs> yep, yep. No, ma'am. It ain't a cookbook and it ain't Crisco. It's the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> now, don't mention it, ma'am. Sure get some dumb questions from folks. I'll bet you do it that, bud. Hey, are all these books down on this table selling for two bits? Well, to tell the truth, they're not selling at all. But I'm asking two bits for them. Oh. <laughs> well, if you folks want anything, now you just call. We will. Yeah. Oh, look, dearie, here's a whole pile of old Horatio Alger books, but who'd want any of those old things? Not us, I'll bet. No, we wouldn't want any well, of those old things. Well, hello there, pal. Hi, Molly. Thought I recognized those voices. Oh, hi, Omaha. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. What are you reading? Uh, it's a Western story. It's called Roaring Six Guns by Ramrod Riggs. You ever read it? No, I don't believe so, Junior. I got a new one last week, though, but it wasn't what I wanted. He bought a book called Longhorn Steers, <laughs> Mr. Wilcox, and it turned out to be a book on how to play the trombone. <laughs> well, this Ramrod Riggs really knows the Old West. I just got to where Tex Vanguard, the hero, knocks a man down for insulting the new school teacher in front of the Last Chance Saloon. Yeah, they all start out like that. He'll marry her on page 248. I doubt it very much this is a man-teacher. Oh, no. <laughs> Town was too tough for decent women. I see. Shall I read you some of it? Well... No, thanks, Omaha. I don't hey, think... Hey, just it... listen to this. This is real literature. Yeah? The motley crowd cowered before Black Pete's menacing guns mm. as he shot two faro dealers and leered at Klondike Kate, the gambler's daughter. Mm. Suddenly, a calm, gray-eyed figure sauntered up to the bar, and a hush fell over the room. I know. Martha Graham. <laughs> It was Tex Vanguard, U.S. Marshal from Dodge City, the terror of evildoers and bringer of law and order to the raw frontier. That's Randolph Scott. I'd know him any place. <laughs> Suddenly, Black Pete's gun barrel rose and Tex Vanguard found himself staring into the small, black, deadly tunnel which had snuffed out the life of your kitchen linoleum can be preserved and beautified so easily with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Uh, what? Wait a minute. Is that in there? Huh? Oh, excuse me, I'm using a Johnson's Glow Coat Circular for a bookmark, and I must have jumped over to that. Oh. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the book says there was a blur of action as Vanguard went for his gun. Yeah. Four shots roared, and the lifeless figure of Black Pete slumped to the floor coverings of linoleum, which are protected by Johnson's Glow Coat, are so much easier to keep clean because spill things are easily wiped up with a damp Mr. cloth. Mr. Wilcox, and... the story. Oh, yes, yes. Well, just at that moment, Tex Vanguard felt a gun muzzle prodding him in the back. And with no rubbing and no buffing, Loco dries to a handsome mirror-like polish in 20 minutes or less. Hey, uh, hey, Waxy. Yes, pal? Just read quietly to yourself for a while, will you? Sure. We, uh, we may want to read that book ourselves sometime. Yeah. And we want it to be a surprise when Tex Vanguard traps the rustlers in their hideaway and cleans them out with a damp cloth after shooting them full of glow coat. <laughs> <laughs> Why, of course. Here, you take the book. But you haven't finished it, Waxy. Oh, I don't want to. I'd rather read the Johnson's Glow Coat Circular. To me, it's a lot more exciting. Oh. Oh. See you later, folks. <laughs> hey, Molly, I got an idea. Yes? Look, you go to the other end of the store and start talking to the owner, see? Distract his attention so I can look over these algebra books. Too and late, dearie. Here he comes. Huh? Oh, hey, Bob. These old algebra books are pretty junky looking. How much are they? Nickel apiece? Nope. Ten cents, mister. Oh. Frankly, they ain't worth it, but I can't handle them for any less. Hey, Molly, how about some of these old algebra books for a dime apiece? No, eh? we wouldn't want them. I should say not. Well, who would? Not me. But I'll take them just to give you more room on the shelves, bud. Well, now, that's mighty neighborly of you, mister. Let me see, there's about uh, 108 of them up there. 
You can take the whole lot for $10. $8. $9. $9.50. $10. $10.50. 10 11 And that's my last offer. <laughs> okay, $11. But you drive a hard bargain, mister. Well, I will get some cord bundle them up. The King's Men and Two Things to Worry About. Worry, 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 worry. I've got me double trouble. Worry, 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 worry. My cares all come in bear. I got two things to worry about. Either you're mine or you're not. And if you're mine, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if you're not, I got two things to worry about. Either you change or you don't. Now if you change, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if you don't, then pity me, watch me sink. Till I'm hanging on the brink. But before my worries all are over, I got two things to worry about. Either I live or I don't. And if I don't, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if I do, there's two things to worry about. Me and you, just two little things to worry about. Either you're mine or you're not. Now, if you're mine, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if you're not, then there's two little things to worry about. Neither you change or you don't. If you change, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if you don't, then pity me, watch me sink till I teeter on the very brink. And then before my worries all are over, there's two little things to worry about. Either I live or I don't. Now if I don't, I haven't got to worry. But on the other hand, if I do, I've still got two things to worry about. One's me, the other is you. Worry, 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 worry about me. these books, what have you got? A sore arm from lugging these books. You'll find out what I got, though, when that book collector gets here. I phoned him from the drugstore and told him I had a collection of algebra books that was a collector's dream. I think you got your money's worth all right. The title's alone, you see. Oh, now stand back, kiddo. Here comes opportunity. Uh, come in. Oh, it's Dr. Gamble, McGee. Come in, doctor. Hello, Molly. And good day to you, drumhead. <laughs> Hi, Bill Pitcher. I thought you were somebody important, but come on in anyway. If I were somebody important, why would I be calling on you, Pop-Up? We thought you were a book collector, Doctor. He was expecting one. And why not? He's had every other kind of collector on his trail. <laughs> well, he's... Hey, where'd you get the pile of penny dreadfuls? Dreadful? I bought them, Fatso, at the book nook next to the Bonton. There's a guy coming over here Let to buy these. Let me see these. those. Horatio Alger. You betcha. Great Scott, I haven't seen books like these since my kid days. You never had any kid days, and you know it. You were born at the age of 42 with a gold probe in your mouth, and you've been... I... Aren't these titles wonderful, Molly? Look at this. Do or Die, Paul Pearson's Pluck, Boot Black to Banker. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a, a great one. title. <laughs> All a boy had to do to get rich in those days was invest in a box of shoe polish and a brush and wait. What's so different about that? 
<laughs> Doc Gamble started out with a dollar watch and a calomel tablet, and look at him now. Oh, Mickey. <laughs> That's not true, and he knows it. I had a thermometer, too, when I started out. <laughs> I'll say you had a thermometer. The only thermometer I ever saw that had three degrees of fever painted right on it. <laughs> you got rich with that thermometer. Now, McGee, stop it. Dr. Gamble isn't rich. Certainly not. Just handsome and talented. Oh. Say, look at this one, Molly. Ned the Newsboy. There's the book that changed my whole career. Changed your career? What happened? You cut your thumb turning the pages and decide to take up medicine? No, I was working as a fire watcher for the Forest Service, and while I was reading this book, 300 acres of timber burned up. <laughs> well, McGee expects these books to change his career, too, Doctor. We're going to be rich any minute now. Oh, I hope not. I like McGee just as he is. Do you really, Doc? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do, McGee. Dumb, floundering, inconsistent, rude, and uncouth. I'm as couth as you are. <laughs> When I think what you'd be like if you had money, I shudder. And when I shudder, walls crack for miles around. <laughs> oh, now, you wouldn't mind if we got wealthy, Doctor. We'd still come to you with our troubles. Yeah, and speaking of troubles, I never will forget the time I was working in that clothing store back in Peoria. I had more... You never told me you worked in a clothing store, McGee. I never told you about that. You never did, no. <laughs> well, sir, I was a clerk in this clothing store, see, specializing in sweaters and sport coats. I sold a guy a cashmere sweater and a check coat one day, and he gave me a check for the check coat, but he paid me cash for the cashmere. <laughs> well, sir, when I give the cash to the bank cashier and chuck this chap's check on the counter for cashing, the cashier checked the cash in his check cashing account and double-checked the check against the check stubs and found the check checker had failed to check the ex-checker and there wasn't enough cash to cash the check I got for the check coat, so the chump chucked the check back to me and checked out the door. <laughs> This must be the guy. Remember now, we don't want part of these books, Molly. Make him bid them up, see? All right, come in. Uh, good day. I'm looking for a Mr. Fibber McGee, incredibly enough. <laughs> come right in, bud. I'm Fibber McGee. Uh, thank you. And this is my wife, Mrs. McGee. How do you do, I'm sure. And uh, this is Dr. Gamble, bud, in case you ever want your appendix taken out and a scar left on your tummy that looks like you've been hit by a road scraper. <laughs> How do you do, sir? I've heard a lot about you, Doctor. I'm K. Stanley Flyleaf, the book collector. Oh, yes, I've heard of you, too. One of the country's leading bibliophiles. Let him show you his bibs and files later on. <laughs> we got business here. Uh, you are the gentleman who called me and said he had a selection of algels? Oh, yes, 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 he's the one, all right, sir. Uh, there they are, right there on the table. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, if you don't mind while I... Oh, sure, help yourself. Oh, Huh? These are not first editions. What? In fact, none of them is. <laughs> What's that got to do with it? They're Horatio Alger books, aren't they? Oh, certainly. But I can pick Algers like this up in any bookstore for three cents apiece. These are worthless. Oh. Oh, but he thought... I rather doubt it, madam. Uh... And I'm sorry we wasted each other's time. Good day, sir. Good day, Doctor. Good day. Been nice knowing you. Hey, watch out for that doorstop, bud. It's right in the door. You fall. Oh. Doorstop. Heavenly days. I'm so sorry, Mr. Flyleaf. Are you hurt? No, he isn't hurt, are you, Flyleaf? Are you hurt, Flyleaf? What's he staring at? That old book we've been using as a doorstop. What's wrong, bud? I say, why didn't you show me this? Why? 
But this is a first edition of Uncle Tom's Cabin, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Very rare. Will you sell me this? Sell that? Of course not, bud. We need that book. We lean it against the door to hold it open whenever we don't want to... Oh, but it's worth $200, McGee. What? $200? Oh, just make out the check to F. McGee, bud. For that kind of dough, I'll lean against the door myself. I suppose I am a little prejudiced, but I just don't understand how anyone could permit her kitchen linoleum or other floors to be anything but clean and bright and shining. It's so easy to make floors glow and gleam with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. There's no rubbing or buffing. All you have to do is apply and let dry. You'll be proud of that rich new floor beauty every time you walk across it. A shining coat of glow coat makes your floors easy to keep clean, too. Dust, dirt, and spilled things can be whisked away with just a wipe of a damp cloth. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat also protects your floors from wear and scuffing. That glowing, protective wax coat can take an awful beating and still come up shining. Think about it for a minute, then make up your mind to give your floors the added shining beauty that comes with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Try glow coat and enjoy the easy way to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. Oh, these algebra books are wonderful, McGee. Hmm? <laughs> Here's one about a boy who rescued a millionaire's baby from under the wheels of a horse car. Oh, that stuff's dated, Molly. You think so? Why, certainly. That rescue stuff's no good anymore. My gosh, I yanked a guy out from under the wheels of a 10-ton truck one time, and what did I get? A poke in the nose. A poke in the nose? Yeah. Heavenly days. Why? Well, he was trying to change a tire, and I was the third guy that rescued him. Oh. <laughs> good night. Good night, all. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax Products, Racine, Wisconsin, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly every Tuesday night. Be with us again next week, won't you? Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Fibber McGee and Molly, starring Jim and Marion Jordan, from February 17, 1948. Also in the cast, Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, and Arthur Q. Bryant, with Harlow Wilcox announcing for Johnson's Wax, is heard over NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. 
To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another episode of Fibber McGee and Molly for you after this break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Fibber writes a tune. Here's Jim and Marion Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly from June 1st, 1948. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie is produced and directed by Frank Pittman with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Have you ever noticed that no matter how carefully you wash your car, it still doesn't look as clean and bright as when it was new? Well, that's because water will not clean a car. It won't remove that greasy surface film built up by bugs, tree sap, tar, oil, and exhaust fumes. But Johnson's Carnew will. It cuts through that film in no time at all. Carnew does the job the quick, easy way. Here's how it works. Carnew is wax-fortified and contains powerful cleansing ingredients. Apply Johnson's Carnew. The cleaning ingredients quickly dissolve stubborn, dulling film. Even the gummiest, stickiest grime disappears after just a bit of rubbing. Carnew then dries to a white powder. Wipe that powder off, and almost like magic, your car is polished, sparkling bright. Carnew cleans and polishes at the same time. One application is all it takes to give your car a really professional showroom shine. Ask your dealer for Johnson's Carnew. With Carnew, it takes less time and less effort to bring out the beauty of your car. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of your car. Some of the world's most daring speculators have never seen Wall Street, a stock ticker, nor a customer's man. Some of them just stand in the front window and speculate on what their husbands are so excited about as they come hurrying up the front walk. In this case, it's speculator Molly McGee and homecoming Fibber as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Ah, look at him running up the walk. I wonder what it is this time. Nobody's chasing him, so he must be. Hey, Molly. Molly. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly. Where are you? I'm hey. right here, McGee. Oh. Sit down and catch your breath. You're wheezing like a pawn shop accordion. <laughs> I'll say I am. Look. I was coming past Joe's Coke and Smoke Shop a while ago. Joe's Coke and Smoke Shop? Yeah. Isn't that where people go to vote on Election Day? Yeah. And where they stand around the rest of the year complaining about who they voted for? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, as I was walking past Joe's Coke and Smoke, what do I hear playing on the jukebox but I'm looking over a four-leaf clover? Well, now, you mustn't be too hard on Joe for that. Maybe the needle got stuck back in 1917 or thereabouts. <laughs> That's the very point. Four-leaf clover must be anywhere near 30 years old. Look at Little White Lies. Look at Babyface. All old songs have been revived and all making a tidy little fortune for somebody. I'm going to cut myself in on that dough, Snooky. Oh. <laughs> well, how? Write a song to be revived in 1978? No, sir. Better than that. Listen. I happen to have already wrote a song that was mighty popular back in 1916. A novelty number. 
You wrote it? Yep. That was a novelty. <laughs> yep, and I think the time is right to revive it, right now. Put it on the market. Sweep the country with it. Well, what's the name of this big hit you're going to sweep the country with? I named it for me. It's called Fibber's Tune. Ah. <laughs> Very modest of you. Yeah. I'll go get my mandolin and play it for you. I gotta have some kind of accompaniment when I sing. I never could sing Acapulco. <laughs> you never could sing what? Acapulco. That's a musical term. <laughs> Means no accompaniment. From the Italian, aca, meaning your own, and poco, meaning your own. <laughs> Acapulco, yawn, you're on your own, see? <laughs> Darling, how on earth do you learn all those things? <laughs> I didn't learn that one. <laughs> you know something? I didn't know you knew a word of Italian, and here you know two of them. I know three. Spumoni. <laughs> Spumoni, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's an Italian word. Well, I'll run upstairs and get my old mandolin. I'm anxious to start reviving this song. Now, just a minute, Beethoven. Yeah. Come in. Oh, it's the old-timer, McGee. Hello there, Mr. Old-timer. Hi, old-timer. Hello there, kids. What you doing? Well, uh, we were just discussing an old song here to McGee's, Mr. Old-timer. It's a song I'm going to revive and make some dough on, old-timer. A lot of money in popular songs these days. You ain't telling me, Johnny. Yeah. I used to be a songwriter myself. Yeah. You used to write them and peddle them in Dead Pan Alley. You mean Tin Pan Alley. Dead Pan, daughter. That's what they all give me when I sung my songs for them. <laughs> Back in 1901, I wrote a dandy, kids. Yeah? I called it, Always Lay an Egg When I Try the Turkey Trot. <laughs> yes, I did too, didn't yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it might have been a big seller. <laughs> no, but just lay there like a rusty card <laughs> Of course, we didn't have any jukeboxes or radio or crooners in them days. No. How many copies of a song can you sell by having it sang by a singing waiter with adenoids and a walrus mustache that strains out all the best lyrics? <laughs> well, what was your biggest hit, Mr. Oldtimer? Well, daughter, I think my biggest hit was a campaign song I writ when Grover Cleveland run for president. Went like this. Boom. I'm looking over a man named Grover that I overlooked before. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> Probably taken from one of the classics. Yep, sure, but I give it up, kids. Yeah. All the songs I wrote had to be sung loud so you can hear them over a brass band or the rattle of beer steins. Nowadays, songs are all wrote for soft-voiced little fellers to gulp into a microphone that makes them all sound like Caruso. <laughs> I wear this Crosby feller be today if he'd had to sing Throw him down, McCluskey, to the third balcony without a microphone. <laughs> well, I don't know where Crosby would be, but McCluskey would be way up on the hit parade. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's pretty good, daughter, but that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says, tell the feller, say, he says. <laughs> Modern medicine is really going places. They just cured my uncle of stealing horses. That's so, says the feller. How they do it, psychology? Nope, says the first feller. They give him shots. Three of them in the seat of the pants. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time,
Billy Mills in the orchestra and a fellow with an umbrella. See right away that a song like this one just can't miss. Can I predict it'll catch on like kissing on a hayride. Here, let me sing it for you. Oh, peanuts. How do you like it so far? Well, maybe it'll grow on me, dearie. Sure it will. Where did you hear him sing it on the radio this afternoon over at WVIS? On the you... radio? Sure. My goodness, those quiz shows will do anything, won't they? <laughs> Oh, didn't I tell you? Every afternoon, the King's Men sing a bunch of songs wrote by local songwriters like me that they draw out of a hat, see? How could they draw you out of a hat? Huh? Oh, I see. You, they draw the songs out of a hat. Sure, they oh. draw the songs out of a hat. When the guy reaches into that hat this afternoon, there'll be a hundred song titles in that hat, and by an odd coincidence, every one of the song titles will be Fibber's Tune by Fern McGee. Heavenly days. How'd you ever arrange that? Well, that's a trade secret, my dear. Oh? Yeah. And the fact that the guy who holds the hat for the king's men to draw out of happens to owe me four bucks from the Elks Club, that's got nothing to do with it. I see. Pure coincidence. Yep. When you got a talent for writing and a talent for shooting angles like I got Tootsie, plus a natural musical talent and a talent for... Hold it, talent. That's probably Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> Come in. Oh, it's the weatherman, McGee. Hello, Mr. Williams. Good afternoon, Mrs. McGee. And, well, what's the mandolin for, McGee? Hmm? If you're thinking of becoming a wandering minstrel, I'll drive you to the edge of town. <laughs> no, I was just running over an old song I wrote, Foggy. And keep a tight grip on your hat, Mr. Williams, because of the drop of one, he'll sing for you. Yep. You're looking at the author of that dynamite song hit in 1916, which I'm about to revive and make a fortune out of, entitled Fibber's Tune, Foggy. Really? Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's a foolish enough title to become moderately successful, McGee. Mm. Thank you. I suppose everyone tries his hand at songwriting sooner or later. <laughs> I once tried it myself. That's all? Yes. Yes, I was running a weather station at the North Pole all alone at the time mm. and took up songwriting to keep myself company. Hmm, that's a good way to keep yourself without company, too. Uh, what were some of your songs, Mr. Williams? Yeah, maybe we've heard them, Foggy. Well, I wrote one that the Eskimo women used to sing when their husbands went out whale hunting. I called it, Blubber, Come Back to Me. <laughs> Sounds vaguely familiar. But I think my best song was one I wrote about a young Eskimo lad who came into camp one day and drank all the alcohol out of our thermometers. Really? What'd you call that song? Denature Boy. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> no wonder you were alone up there. Were you really all by yourself, Mr. Williams? Oh, yes. Yes. My only companion was a young penguin that hung around my camp. Oh, a penguin. Those are the little birds that always wear tuxedos, aren't they? Uh, yes, yes. He was a great help to me, this penguin. I shall never forget the time my supply ship failed to arrive. Yeah? That little penguin found me almost dead from starvation and saved my life. Oh. Saved your life? My gosh, he must have been smart. No, but he certainly was delicious. <laughs> Good day, probably. Hey, Foggy bailed out of here so fast I didn't even get to sing my song for him. Mm -hmm. And he thinks the North Pole was a narrow escape. Oh, well. <laughs> he can hear it this summer on every jukebox and radio set in the country. Maybe he'll stay in the city. Even so, he can't escape it. Hey, listen to it again. Oh, peanuts. Looks like your song hit is starting to ring the bell, dearie. Yeah. Maybe this is somebody else I can try it out on. Come in. Hello, Molly. Hi, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Come on in. Hi, Junior. Pull up a chair and listen to the greatest 1916 song. Oh, gee, I've had a swell afternoon, kids. I was over at the club taking a swim and ran into a friend of mine who just bought a new car. Well, that's fine, Junior, but I... Said he took it out on the road over the weekend, got it all grimy and dusty. Yeah, but... He was pretty discouraged about losing that beautiful showroom shine it had till I told him how easily he could get it back with Johnson's car new. Oh, is he eager today? Well, when I explained how car new does what water can't do, it dissolves the greasy film that makes dirt and grime stick to your car, and how easily the dust and grease and traffic tarnish comes off with car new, he was delighted. And when I told him it was just a simple job, that you just rub car new on, let it dry to a white powder, and then wipe it off, and all the dirt comes right with it, leaving your car bright and gleaming again, he was so tickled. Oh, peanuts. Hey, is that your mandolin, pal? Why don't you put some strings on it? Doesn't make any noise. Doesn't make any noise. You keep banging on it, but I can't hear any... Oh, <laughs> you know what? No. I got through swimming this afternoon and forgot to take my earplugs out. <laughs> Isn't that silly? No. Oh, there, now I can hear. Were you saying something, pal? I was trying to say, Junior, that I'm about to revive one of the big song hits in 1916. A little ditty entitled Fibberstune, which I wrote myself. That's go... great, pal. That's great. But look, let me tell you about Johnson's car, New. You've got a car. You just told us about car, New, Mr. Wilcox. Certainly, you met a guy at the club. Did I and tell you, told... you that? Why, sure. 
Gee whiz, kids, I had these earplugs in and I didn't hear it. Thought I'd forgot to mention. <laughs> oh, well. Harlow. Harlow. Yeah. Old boy. Sit down here, will you? Sure. Relax. You're going to hear a revival of the greatest song hit you ever heard, sung by the composer himself. Okay, composer, okay. Let me do one thing first. What, Mr. Wilcox? Put my earplugs back in. <laughs> I don't want to lose them, and I figured oh, that was a best way. Oh, look, I got a TL for you. You've put in all the plugs you're going to this season. <laughs> so now go home and come back in October. Okay, pal, thanks. Happy summertime, Same kids. To Same to you, Mr. Wilcox. Try and find anybody around this neighborhood with any musical depreciation. <laughs> hey, how do you like the song by now, Molly? Is it growing on you yet? Well, uh, I'm not quite sure, dearie. I'll think it over while I'm upstairs sorting the laundry. Oh, okay. Uh, you keep singing it to yourself, and maybe you'll get tired of it before long. Okay, kiddo. Ah, there goes a good kid. <laughs> she didn't realize when she married me that she was getting into the big dough. <laughs> She thought I'd be an old man before I hit the jackpot, and here we are on the road to riches, and I'm still only... Ooh, don't time fly. <laughs> I didn't realize... I'll... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. I'm glad to see you. Here, toss the torso in a chair and take the tension off your metatarsals, Teeny. Well, I... Hmm? Hi. I says, aren't you out of school a little early this afternoon, sis? Oh, sure. Hmm? Me and Willie Toops got out early for a reward, I betcha. Oh? On account of we got a hundred in history today for doing our homework right. Oh, you did, eh? And our teacher, hmm? I says you did, eh? Who did? You and Willie Toops. Did what? Got a hundred. Where? In history. When? Today. Why? For doing your homework right. I know it. <laughs> What you doing with the guitar, mister? You gonna be a cowboy star this summer, are you? No, no, this isn't a guitar, Teeny. It's a mandolin. As a matter of fact, though, I was in a Western picture one time years ago. Oh, really, yeah. mister? Did you ride a horse and play guitar? No, no, this was just a small part. I rode a Shetland pony and played a ukulele. <laughs> but as long as you asked about this mandolin, I'll, I'll play something for you. Music. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sing you a little song I wrote myself back in 1916, sis. It's going to be a big hit this summer. The King's Men are singing it on the air, and you'll hear it on jukeboxes, radios, merry-go-rounds, sheet music. Oh, boy. Will my mama be able to get the music and play it on our piano, Mr. Will she on our piano? Why, sure she will. Mama can't play the piano. <laughs> Well, then she can have somebody play it for her. We haven't got a piano. <laughs> okay, skip it. Here's how it goes. Oh, peanuts go with popcorn. Sunrise goes with dew. Donuts go with coffee. And I want to go with you. Oh, how you like it so far? Oh, let me out of here. <laughs> Cute kid, but she never answered me. Or did she? McGee, do you know what time it is? Quick, turn on the radio. Oh. It's time for the King's okay. Men. Bring you at this time that popular singing group, the King's Men, with a series of songs by amateur composers. This is it, kiddo. I hope they don't butch it up. The opening number has been drawn out of the hat, and it's Fibber's Tune by a Mr. Fibber McGee. That's it. <laughs> 
was new, a law was passed that had to do with the teaming up of this and that. For better or worse in a two-room flat. For better or worse in a two-room flat. Each and every living thing from amoeba down to a jungle king went looking for its natural mate. Cause two by two is a natural state. Two is a natural state. Oh, peanuts go with popcorn, sunrise goes with you. Donuts go with coffee, and I want to go with you. Oh, bacon goes with hen fruit, carrots go with stew. Everything goes with something, so I want to go with, I want to go with, I want to go with you. He had to take two of everything. He had to take two of everything. In this world so full of flaws, the very best of nature's laws is the one that took its maiden trip on Father Noah's partnership. Noah's partnership. Oh, corned beef goes with cabbage, red and white with blue. Mustard goes with hot dogs, and I want to go with you. Oh, even Wallace Wimple goes with you-know-who. Everything goes with something else. It's a thing that a thing must do. So I want to go with you. Oh, peanuts go with popcorn. Sunrise goes with you. Donuts go with coffee. And I want to go with you. Oh, even Wallace Wimple goes with you-know-who. Everything goes with something else. It's a thing that a thing must do. Now you're a thing and I'm a thing, but you to me are everything. So I want to, I want to go with, I want to go with nobody else but you. What do you think of the song now, Oh, kiddo? that sounded wonderful, McGee. I'll have to admit, I really well, like it. Certainly everybody will like it. You're going to hear Fibber's tune on every radio program in the country. Except maybe we the people and Caltonborn. <laughs> and I'll bet I can get Caltonborn to discuss it in terms of world peace. Well, <laughs> sounds wonderful, dearie. But just what radio program do you think you can get it on and how? That's a cinch, baby. Who's got a musical show that'll be sponsored by Johnson's Wax this summer? Every Monday and Wednesday morning at Consult Your Local Newspaper for the exact time. Who? You mean Fred Waring? Natch. I'll call him up right now. Hand me the phone. Here. Take a little more cord. It's a long-distance call. Okay. Oh, interruptions, interruptions. Come in. Oh, McGee, it's Dr. Gamble. Do come in, doctor. Thank you, my dear, and good day to you, wet wash. Hi, Lancelot. Is it true you lost your satchel last week and three patients got well before you could find it? Now, McGee, I wish you wouldn't talk that way to the good doctor. Man of his professional standing is entitled to a little respect. But not as little as I get from him. If he did a little more professional standing and a little less professional sitting, his experience would be wider and his pistol pockets narrower. <laughs> not to change what seems to you to be such an enjoyable subject, Scuttlebutt, May I ask how you intend to take the swelling out of that banjo? Well, that's not a banjo, Doctor. That's a mandolin. He's been playing an old song he wants to revive. Well, his mandolin playing is a strange way to revive anything. What is this beggar's opera you're promoting, Bucklewart? <laughs> it's called Fibber's Tune, Tone Deaf. <laughs> I wrote it myself in honor of myself. He, he says it was very popular back in 1916, Doctor. So was Russia. <laughs> Let me dash off a few bars for you, Ducky. 
You love it. Oh, peanuts. Look, 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 my boy. Ours has been a long and stormy friendship. Let's not strain it, huh? <laughs> I know your voice, and I don't mind saying that I've heard better singing done by a pigeon on a stool under a hot light at the police station. <laughs> now, look, I'll get that. McGee's residence, Gamble speaking. Who? Oh, yes, Mrs. Clatterhatch. Oh, her again. How's that, Mrs. Clatterhatch? Your husband lost his nose in a lodge election argument? Oh. I'll be right over. Oh, my gosh, Doc. Lost his nose? Yes, he was counting the votes when the fight started. Yeah? Saved most of the S's, but lost all of his nose. Oh. <laughs> nice summer, kids. I'll miss you. Ah, so long. I'll put in a good word for him anytime If I could think of a good word that wouldn't get me pinched Well, hey, let's go in here Hand me the phone Thanks Hello, operator Give me Fred Waring in New York Yeah, the New York If it won't make you too jealous, McGee Tell him I think he's wonderful Okay Boy, when Fred and I get this song revived they'll... Oh, okay, operator, put him on Hello, Fred This is Fibber McGee N No, no, McGee Molly's husband <laughs> Yeah, yeah Look, I want to help you out, Fred You want to help him out Like Dewey wants to help Truman out <laughs> Look, Fred I've got a song I'm promoting I wrote it myself in 1916 And confidentially, it's terrific <laughs> It's a revival and hotter than a pistol Listen to this, Freddy What do you mean you don't like it? I ain't even sung any of it yet That was my mandolin Sing it Acapulco, dearie <laughs> You ready, Freddy? Well, here she goes Oh, peanuts go with popcorn Sunrise goes with dew Donuts go with coffee And I want to go with you Oh, hello, 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 Fred Hey, Fred, hello, hello oh. hmm. Must have been cut off I'll call him back later Well, you know, it's very difficult to interpret a fine musical selection over the phone, dearie uh, Why don't you mail him a copy? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him to feature it on his first show for the Waxworks next Monday morning If he likes it You don't think he hung up because he didn't like it, do you? Oh, don't be ridiculous How could anybody dislike it? A frightening question <laughs> Anyhow, it sounded great when the King's Men sang it couldn't have got very bad in ten minutes <laughs> Look, you say you wrote this song? Yep, I wrote it You say it. it was very big in 1916? Biggest song I ever handled Sixteen pages <laughs> Had to cut it down to get anybody to look at it I see And it was very popular? Very With whom? With me I liked it better than any song I ever wrote Funny I could never sell it You mean it never was published? Nope But now that I've revived it, we'll make it Tell the me one thing How can you revive a song that was never published? Ah, uh ah -huh. You put your finger on the big talking point, kiddo That's it This is the first song ever wrote that was revived before anybody ever heard of it What a novelty What a... Hey, let me run over it again for you uh, Please do, and I'll help you, dearie Oh, peanuts go with popcorn Sunrise goes with dew Donuts go with coffee And I want to go with you Oh, bacon goes with hen fruit Carrots go with stew I'm going on vacation And I'm gonna go with you
There's nothing tough or tiresome about polishing your car if you use Johnson's Wax Fortified Car New. As a matter of fact, with Car New, it's really quite simple and easy to make your car bright and shiny. You merely apply Car New with a dry cloth, rub just a bit to loosen road dirt and grime, then let dry to a white powder. Wipe off the white powder and presto, your car's polished. You see, Johnson's Car New does two jobs at once. It cleans and at the same time it polishes to a bright, shining luster. The secret is that Carnew dissolves that sticky traffic film built up by bugs, tree sap, oil, and exhaust fumes. Water alone won't remove that greasy road grime, but Carnew will, quickly and easily. No aching elbows, no aching backs. Car beauty comes easily when you use Johnson's wax-fortified Carnew. Try it and see for yourself. Yes, sir, you show me a man who's used Johnson's Carnew, I'll show you a man who's found the easy way to bring out the beauty of his car. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of your car. Well, it's about that time of the year again, dearie. Yep, Fred Waring takes over for the Johnson people next week. Every Monday and Wednesday morning, all summer. That's wonderful, and it's been another happy season for us, too, hasn't it? Swell. With all our good friends who keep listening to us. Honestly, I don't know what we'd do without the McGee. Well, I do, but I don't like to think about it. <laughs> I wish there was some way we could say thanks to everybody who's been so nice to us all year. You know what I think they'd like us to say by this time? You mean? Yes. Oh, good night. Good night, all. Silver McGee and Molly will be back October 5th. In the meantime, the makers of Johnson's Wax products bring you Fred Waring and his Pennsylvanians every Monday and Wednesday morning. Consult your local newspaper for the correct time and tune in next Monday morning, won't you? This is Harlow Wilcox saying good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And that's Fibber McGee and Molly with Fibber's Tune, starring Jim and Marion Jordan from June 1st, 1948. Also in the cast, Gail Gordon, Bill Thompson, and Arthur Q. Bryan, with Harlow Wilcox announcing for Johnson's Wax, is heard over NBC. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 82 of the classic radio theater after this short break. Next time on episode 82 of the Classic Radio Theater brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two musical comedy episodes of the Craft Music Hall starring Bing Crosby from 1944, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening.